Welcome to the Black Doctor Collective Podcast. We as Black doctors are in a unique position. We can change our communities, healthcare, and the world. Of course, we start by changing the way we see and value ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Shanika Horn, pediatrician and physician coach, travel extraordinaire. I am so happy to have you here and listening. So let's get into it. Today, folks, I am super excited because if you guys are on Instagram and not following Cooking on Purpose, like where have you been? So the co-founder of Cooking on Purpose Health, Dr. Shayla Nettie is here. She's a board certified internal medicine and obesity medicine physician. Like I said, she's the co-founder of Cooking on Purpose Health, which is a virtual direct care preventative and obesity medicine practice. She serves as chief clinical strategist at a healthcare design agency in Boston. She completed medical school at Morehouse. Yes, yeah. medicine, where she also <laughs> met her husband. Okay, hook up. And they have a five-year-old daughter, which is such a good story, by the way. <laughs> she believes that food is medicine and is the foundation of a healthy life, which it is, y'all. This is not just a story. She recognizes community barriers that contribute to food insecurity and hosts community events to speak about culturally relevant food in North Carolina and Georgia. She uses her love for cooking, medicine, and design to share health education in a non-traditional way with patients directly via her virtual care practice and on her social media platforms. Yes, she shares all the the tips and tricks and snacks. Okay, (laughs) hey, love, so happy to have you. I'm so happy to be here. I feel like a a low-key celebrity now that I made it. (laughs) Say, mama, I made it. You made it onto my little podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-uh, take the little out, Uh uh-uh. That's true, that's true. (laughs) I'm gonna say it's our Around the Way podcast. I like that, I like that, Around the Way podcast. Yes, so tell people where you're from so they know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so b- born where my heart is in Brooklyn, New York. That's right. Mm, mm, Brooklyn in the house. Brooklyn. That's right. But raised in Augusta. I got to recognize Augusta, Georgia. That's where I was raised. Um, and then from there, just a little bit all over Georgia. And then now I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're just representing all this East Coast love coming on. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. So tell us, tell the people. We want to hear about your journey into medicine because we all have journeys right. on how we got there. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> so it's interesting because uh, like the way that I think about my life up until a certain point, it felt like a fairy tale mm-hmm. where um, like I'm the oldest of four. And the way that if you if you had a movie camera looking at my life, it was like, I was the smart one, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did good in school, got all A's, the typical kind of perfectionist, you know, uh, A-type personality. And um, I thought at the time, I thought I was going to be an engineer. And my oh. mom came home with a book one day and she's like, hey, look at this book. And it was a fiction. It was a novel, a fictional story. And the main character was a cardiothoracic surgeon. Wow. I was like, what is a cardiothoracic surgeon? Let me let me look this up. And this is pre-Google. This is like Yahoo days. And actually, 
actually, I didn't even have a computer in my house. I had to ask my auntie who worked, um, she worked at the courthouse. I had to call her also pre-cell phone. I had to call her on the landline and say, auntie, can you look this up? This cardiothoracic surgeon, tell me what this is. So she, I don't even know what the website was that she found, but she, she brings <laughs> home this like 14 page pamphlet wow. of like all the things you have to do to become a cardiothoracic surgeon. So I read through it, you know, I'm looking like, all right, yeah, sounds doable. You know, 14, 15 years of schooling. I can do that. <laughs> I love so, that little you is like 14 pages of requirements. Yeah. I got this. It's nothing. It's nothing. I'm like, okay, if you, my thing was like, if you tell me what I need to do, mm-hmm. I'm going to check the things off the list. And so right. because I could see these are the steps you have to take to become a doctor, it was real to me even though there wasn't anybody in my family who was a doctor, even though there wasn't anybody in my immediate family who had even graduated from high school, mm-hmm. in my mind, there was a very clear path to get there. I was like, as long as I make good grades and I stay focused, I can do it. Right. Um, and so, I mean, that's very simple to think like that. You could tell I was a kid, but in my mind, it was like, I'm going to do it. So I would tell everyone I'm going to be a doctor. It's not simple. That's beautiful. <laughs> and I don't know, I have this conversation all the time. Some point along the way, we lose that. right? Like that confidence that Mm. got us this far and we, you know, beat ourselves down instead. This is a worse alternative. I like that version better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. It's like, it's like that mindset of a child of like, there's freedom, you know, you you just let Mm -hmm. your imagination run wild. And that was it for me. And so, um, so yeah, I went to university of Georgia, pre-med track, um, met a lot of cool people, cool friends. Most of them were pre-med as well. And then from there, like I think it was my junior or senior year, I had this moment where I'm like, you know what? I don't think I really want to do this. Like I'm not <laughs> sure if I want to. <laughs> like I've done. Yeah. I'm, like I'm almost done, and I'm like, man, I've been in school for a long time, and I'm going <laughs> to sign up to do more of this. Like, like my whole sure? life. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I have my, I started thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm 21. I'm 22. Now I want to have kids. I want to get married. If I'm doing, if I'm trying to do medicine, I'm going to be in medical school and a residency. When am I going to have the kids? And when am I going to get married? I remember mm-hmm. saying that to my grandma and she's like, girl, slow down. Like, you yeah. know, you're 10 years ahead. Like give it, give it some time. Like don't mm-hmm. make it bigger than it needs to be. Like mm-hmm. life is going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. And my thing was I wanted to control everything. Right. And that's why the steps mattered to me. Cause I, I was mm-hmm. like, you know, if I could see the vision, then I'll right. know what I need to do. But if I don't see the vision, I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going to, I'm going to mess up. And then my life mm-hmm. will unravel. And maybe yeah. in the oldest, I'm like, I want to do everything right. So that my siblings, they see, they go, okay, Shayla did it. I know what to do. Like I'm the the torchbearer. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, thankfully, my grandma talked me off the ledge, and I didn't stop pursuing medicine because I wasn't sure Shout when I get out to grandma. <laughs> keeping you grounded <laughs> in that Shout moment. To grandma, that's right. That's why you need. That's why you need family support in your life, where they're they're sewing into you, yeah. calming you down when you need to calm down, but also lifting you up when you need it. So that's what I have for me. Yeah, and they give you perspective because grandma was like sis you too yeah. young <laughs> to have all these pressures I, I have to remember it so clearly I was like yeah. no because you're gonna get I'm gonna get pregnant it's gonna take nine months and then I have to recover from that like 21 22 like, let me calculate right now how much time <laughs> oh my gosh so yeah so that was that was the first blip <laughs> 
but um, listened to my grandma, made it through, um, ended up applying to several schools, but fell in love with Morehouse School of Medicine. Like everything about that place was amazing. You already talked about, met my husband there um, and uh, met some really amazing people there and made some really cool bonds. And I'm really close with a lot of people there still. My class was 60 people. So, you know, we knew everybody. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. too much sometimes, uh, but uh <laughs> No, I loved it. And that, that was like the foundation for me to be who I am now as a doctor. That is beautiful. I'm saying my high school was 60 people. So I understand that thing of like, you know, everything about everybody. Yep. yep. Ooh, too personal. Um, <laughs> so tell me like you went down this path, you're following the steps, you get into med school, med school is this great experience. And then, and then residency. <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded word. Uh, really, and then intern year. Really, that's what it was. Right. I mean, and I think this is true for most people. It was a wake up call. Like you have this ideal, perfect vision of I'm going to be this doctor, and I'm going to talk with patients, and I'm going to spend time with them, and I'm going to hold their hand, and I'm going to you know, explain things and, you know, it's going to be amazing. And like, you have this very, like, it's, everything's going to be great, you know? Yeah. And then the reality is like, you know, stay, staying up overnight, answering all these pages. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. You're an intern. It's like a whole new world, a whole new language. You know, medical school only gets you prepared. So it's so much, you have to be kind of be thrown in the fire. Um, right. And which, which I under, I get that now, but in the moment it made me question did I make a mistake? Like I thought, I felt like I didn't belong. And I think part of that was because I was one of only two black um, residents in my program. So I think if I remember correctly, there was 35, 40 of us. And that's if you included the preliminary interns. Um, And then once they left the next year, it was just two of us. Wow. And, you know, not that the people that I worked with weren't supportive is just it's weird to not see someone that looks like you so I go from Morehouse where pretty much everybody looks like me and Mm -hmm. they talk like me or they get what I'm saying you know like there's certain things we say a certain way just culturally getting things and and also there was there was a sense of community at Morehouse that I loved um where if you felt like you didn't understand something or you needed help people would reach out like it was like a family and like a family you know there's a lot of drama too um but that that was the I love that where in residency, it wasn't quite like that, which which is fine. Every place is different, but I, I guess I wasn't ready for the stark difference. Mm-hmm. And then add on top of that, like me becoming aware of imposter syndrome. I didn't know that's what it was. I, thankfully, my um, one of my assistant program directors, she was the, I actually interviewed with her before I got into the program. She was black. She's black, not she was. She's black. And um, I would come to her office and just tell her like, I'm studying, I'm doing all the things, but I'm, I still feel like I'm missing it. And she was the one who kind of introduced me to this, this topic of well, imposter syndrome and how even she still felt that. And yeah. she's the associate program director, right? Yeah. Like she's where I want to be 10, 15 years from now. And the fact that she told me, you know, was huge because I'm thinking she's probably looking at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah, we did make a mistake. How, do, how did you get in here? How did you, you know, how did you beat the odds? How do we miss this? Like, that's really right. the, the story I was telling myself. And part of that was probably due to the fact that I was tired. You know, you're tired, exactly. you're stressed out, you're hungry, <laughs> you're angry, you're irritated, you're confused. Not you to need mention, to use the bathroom. Of, you got to use the bathroom. <laughs> everything, all the physical needs. And you're trying to take care of people who are sick. 
and and you're learning how to do it. And so, so I think that was a big kind of change for me and and being in that, in that environment and not really knowing how to handle it in a way where I wasn't doubting who I was and what I thought I represented, even though Mm -hmm. other people may not look like me or may not even have the same values as I did. Um, I still was struggling with how to deal with that. Um, Cause you know, it, internal medicine is the, uh, is my, spe- was my, is my specialty. And most people, when they go, well, at least in my program, they were using internal medicine as a way to become a specialist, whether it was cardiology or GI, which is fine. We need GI doctors, cardiologists. My focus at the time was primary care. And, you know, primary care is kind of seen as like the underbelly of medicine. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, All right. Yeah. You go see, do the general medicine, the real prestige is, you know, yeah cardiology and GI, you know, can you, you know, everything about one organ, you know, you can do a procedure. And, um, but I didn't want that. I wanted to talk with people and it, I guess I was, I was taking all of that energy, all those vibes and thinking I made a mistake, like not just in medicine, but where I went to residency, at least that first year. And the time went through, went by and started, you know, connecting a little bit more, not, but still there was always a, a little bit of a disconnect where I didn't really feel like I was showing my true self. Mm-hmm. It was almost like I would put on the suit of, all right, this is Dr. Shayla Nettie. And mm-hmm. then when I would get home, I would take that suit off and it's like, all right, I can be Shayla now. And it was tiring. Like, cause you know, you're at work all the time when you're in a residency. Yes. So if I'm always trying to be something that's not authentically me, you know, mm-hmm. where am I getting my energy from? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. And I, I think I quoted this. I like read this super long quote in one of the podcast episodes from a guy who talked about like stepping into the room and really needing like the first five minutes to like assume this identity that makes you feel like you belong there. And still you kind of feel like, well, I'm assuming this identity, so I don't actually belong here, but just that's something that people who are not black don't have to do right it's like unique to that experience so it's such a like important thing that people really do feel that way you're in a space and you're the only one or you're one of few and you're like okay well am I supposed to be here like nothing here reflects me exactly yeah Exactly. That's it. Nothing here reflects me. But the the, the saving grace were the patients. Like right. every time I would go into a room, and I, like I kid you not, you're on rounds. I'm on. I would be on rounds. I remember so many times I'd present a patient. You know, I'm talking to the attending. I'm saying why the patient is here, giving them the story. We give the plan. I'm the intern, so I I would leave last. I'd say bye to the patient, and as everyone's leaving the room, the patient would look at me, kind of give me that wink, like. Oh yeah. Yes. And you know, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I know yeah. you're so proud, you know, like, cause you're here and like those mm-hmm. moments would so into okay. me, like, all right, even though I'm feeling this, clearly I'm representing something, right. Cause they're, they're telling me that they don't have to say that to me. So mm-hmm. that meant a lot to me. I love those moments. I think sometimes, especially if, it, if they get you on like a hard day, Oh. And you're like, my people. Yes. <laughs> you're like, my yes, people yes. see me. Yes. You know? Yes. And yes. like, I just remember having conversations. Like, it's just so refreshing to have a conversation with a patient that you know no one else will understand. Like, whether it's about a hair issue mm. and mm-hmm. they're, or they're using terms that you are like, oh, yeah, I know, girl. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And just like understanding that in a way that other people cannot. And that just gives you so much fulfillment and validation for why you should be there, right? Because who better to serve our people than us? Exactly, exactly. Because we get it. And not that that every, all of us are the same. We know that, but there's still that connection where we may say things a certain way, look a certain way. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it it means a lot to patients, but it means a lot to me too. Like, it's almost like I am talking to my auntie. I am talking to my uncle. I am talking to my brother. Right. And, and I would want someone to talk to them that way. So it it makes me feel fulfilled when I'm able to give that to a patient who looks like me. Patients that don't look like me, I'm, I want to serve them too, but have a special place for, for those types of patients. You know, the other people who bolstered me was like the rest of the staff in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I had some like clerks and yep. oh my God, they were like my favorite people. Yes. Yes. Like some of my like nursing aides and LPNs and yes. like, whatever, like that I could just like relax with and keep yep. with. And it yep. literally was like talking to my family. Exactly. Exactly. They remind you of a cousin from back in the yes. day or they say, or they, maybe they have a name that remind you like, oh, and, and it's yeah. funny you say that I, because I'm still in the same city that I did residency, I'll see them. Like I'll go to the grocery store and I hear someone say, Dr. Nettie. And you know, oh. there's a moment, right? The first moment I'm like, oh, I hope this isn't a patient that I don't want to run into. <laughs> yes. And I look and I'm like, oh, it's the nurse from such and such. Or it's the, yeah. you know, it's the renal nurse or it's the renal tech. Yeah. I'm like, hey, what you doing? You know, and it's good to catch up and yeah. let them know what I'm doing now. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Th- those people, they, they definitely sewed into me too. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. This is like the beauty of our community. It's yes. like wherever you are, if you can find your people, and like we said, just because of skin color doesn't mean they're your people. Right. But right. if you can find your people, regardless as to where they are in that system and what they're doing, like those people yeah. will really pump you up. Yep. They connect. They get it. Yeah. Okay. So now you have gone to residency. You're kind of, you know, swimming your way through it, swimming upstream a little bit, you know, doing the thing. So what is your next great moment, your next great pivotal point, your learning point? Uh, I would say there's, there's two that are kind of combined into one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it kind of goes back to what I said before about the imposter syndrome, right? So I spent all this time in residency thinking, I don't belong, I don't belong, I'm not sure if I should be here. I'm going to try my best. You fast forward three years and I end up getting voted as one of the three chiefs. Um, <laughs> and it's like, if I could talk to the intern Shayla and say, oh, hey, guess what? You know, right. three years from now, you're going to be a chief resident and you're going to be helping residents learn and you're going to be creating educational programs. And, you know, they're going to want you to stay on. I, the intern Shayla would say, there's no way. There's never. That must yeah. mean that there's no one left. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> but but don't give me so I say that I'm just I'm joking a little bit I say that but the interesting thing is when they told me that they wanted me to be one of the chiefs I cried oh, I cried because so like because of all of the all of the pressure that I put on myself to to be good at this and to feel like I'm supposed to be there and I did not expect it at all. I, I, it, to show you how much I didn't expect it, when they called me, they called me to the office. They paged me to the office. So we we had those like rinky dink pagers where like they everyone else has a nice them. phone. No, you, I know you. There's I had a pager. Oh really? And Some I yes. have a phone. They have like a nice iPhone or Android. We both. They were not letting go of them pagers, girl. <laughs> 
the angels was not able to. Well, I was right there with you. I had the pager clipped to my hip and yeah. they paged me that my program director wanted to talk to me. And I'm like thinking, oh shoot, what did I do wrong? Like, I'm just going through the list. Okay, did I mess up on a discharge summary? Oh, I have been, I've been slacking on putting, returning them on time. Like, you know, thinking of all that. And he, you know, we meet up and he's like, we'd love for you to be a chief. And I couldn't process it because it didn't match with what I was expecting. I just started crying. And he's like, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, this is like, like these are happy tears. tears. Are happy. Yeah. He's like, is that a no? <laughs> like, I can take the words back. Like, I how know, do we no, fix we what's happening? It's like something's happening to your face. How do we fix it? <laughs> it was not a cute cry. It wasn't like tears <laughs> falling where you're like accepting right. an, an award. And a I single tear. It was like, mm-mm. it was the my face was scrunched up. Like, I mean, it was, it was not, it was not pretty at all. And, um, but yeah, I mentioned that to say becoming a chief, it was awesome. It was a big moment for me. Um, and my husband, he was so encouraging. He was just like, I, I know you could do this. You got this because I take, I still had to take time to think about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course I, not of course I ended up accepting, it was four of us together that were co-chiefs. And, um, in the middle of my chief year, I got pregnant. Um, me and my husband, we got pregnant with our daughter and, um, at the time we didn't know it was going to be a girl because we wanted to wait and, you know, be surprised at the birth. And so I remember I was driving to work and I got a call from, I got a call from my OBGYN and I was thinking, oh, this is probably her fussing at me because I don't want to know what the gender is, you know, and she, Mm -hmm. and she wants to know, and, you know, she's going to tease me. So I answer safely, right? I probably had Bluetooth or something. I don't remember. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And like, she probably said hi, but all I can remember is her saying, we could only see two chambers. And I was, wait, wait, what? You know, and the way she said it was so, it was so nonchalant, just kind of, it's cold outside. You know, I thought, oh, this must be something that's typical. You know, it must be yeah. something that's not out of, out of the ordinary. Cause again, I'm, I'm adult medicine. I'm not peds like you. Right. So I, I'm thinking, oh, this like, maybe they anything. developed the other two. Maybe the set, the other two chambers are going to come later. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know everything about embryos. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, she's like, um, yeah, no, um, we couldn't see it. And I, and I asked her, I said, so what does this mean? Like, like, what are the chances that, that this is something serious? And she goes, 50, 50. And, like, and then she just starts saying, yeah, just, just like that. And I'm, and mind you, there's still a people pleaser in me. I'm, it, there's less of a people pleaser, but at the time, because of how uh, easily she was saying the words, I didn't feel comfortable enough to share how afraid it made me. Like, I didn't mm. want her to know that I was like, about to cry. I didn't want to say, wait, what? Are you worried that this could be something serious? What does that mean? What does that entail? What do we need to do? I didn't want to say any of those things. I think part of it was because I wanted to give this illusion that I understood what was going on, but also she was, she knows I'm a, I'm a doctor. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I want to keep this very like yeah, professional uh, kind of appearance. Like, all right, well, we'll see what the next steps are. You know what I mean? And um so she says, yeah, you're going to have to meet with the maternal fetal doctor. It'll be in a few days. We're going to set up the appointment. And she kind of goes down that list. And I'm not really hearing anything. Mind you, I'm driving. Nope. 
Right. <laughs> and I will say this is not the way that you're supposed to, you know, this, this is not the way you're supposed to tell anybody news that is concerning. Never, you know, yeah. it's very traumatic, you know, Hey, are you free? Are you able to, are you in a place where you can sit down and hear? There's none of that. It's just like, she just right. jumped right in. So I said, okay, get off the phone. I, I'm, by now I've pulled into the parking deck and I just start sobbing because I'm thinking what, a 50, 50 chance that our baby only has two heart chambers that's a yeah. death sentence. Like, right. what, what does that mean? And I call my husband and uh, I could barely speak. All he hears is the tears. Yeah. And I say to him, like, no one's dead. No one's, no one's died. There's no accident. Something, something's wrong with the baby. You know, there, there, there's an issue. And, um, and that started the process of us. We, we actually started grieving then um, because like I said, he's family medicine. So he knows a little bit more, I shouldn't say a little bit more, a lot more about kids than I do. <laughs> but um, we did what we usually don't tell people to do, right? We went on Google. Oh no, not Dr. Google. Google. Yep, we Googled what what, what are the di- differential diagnosis, two chambers, ultrasound, you know, what does this look like? Yeah. And um, all the story, everything that I saw was so alarming and it, it just made me kind of go into this mode of, okay, we're, the baby's not going to make it. Like this, there's no way anything good is going to come from this. And just almost like withdrawing. Um, so fast forward, like maybe a day or two, maybe three days. I can't remember how many days we met with the MFM doctor and she confirmed that um, our daughter did have uh, only two chambers, two functional chambers. She has um, uh, chronic left hypoplastic heart syndrome where the left side of her heart is, is basically dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And they started explaining she'll need sur- open heart surgeries within 24 to 48 hours after she's born. She'll need to be in the ICU. She'll need to be on all these medications. And it was weird for me because like one part of me is somewhat hearing this as a doctor because the, the right. terms that they're using, like the types of medicines that they're listing, I prescribe that to my adult patients all the time, like Lasix yeah. and Sildenafil and aspirin. But then the, the the disconnect is that they're talking about my my daughter, like the baby, the baby right. inside of me is going to need what? A, right. a open heart surgery? How many times? Three? What? Yeah. And I I like just kind of disconnected from life, honestly, for, for a long time. Yeah. I think there's two really pertinent points to pull out of your story. And the first one Actually, they both tie into your identity as a physician. Mm-hmm. But the first one is that need to maintain decorum, even when you're extremely distressed. Yeah. I, I think that that's such a disservice uh, to us in medicine as providers is that we are trained not to show distress, even when there is devastating news. And you can see how that leaks right over into your personal life because even though you're not the physician in that conversation you're still wanting to put on this brave face and present a layer of external calm despite the internal turmoil that you are currently going through right like it's so crazy that we have this culture that you're not allowed to like cry and you're not allowed to like express emotions for your patients. And I, and I feel like it's starting to go away a little bit. People are talking about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is one thing, like people who are listening, that is not a good thing that you are stoic through all situations. It is yeah. okay to have emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's something that we just have to work to unlearn. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, yeah. Absolutely. And like, forgive ourselves because it's like a default. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's trained. It's programmed into us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the concept of like being a doctor who goes to a doctor mm-hmm. and that relationship. And we do not talk about this at all ever, but I, for me, I have realized that I do not tell my doctors that I'm a doctor because I don't want them to skip all this information, which is what they have a tendency to do. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like she just gave you diagnosis and they're telling you medicines and whatever. And you're like, I'm still human. And there's a whole emotional part of me that needs to process the emotion of what's right. happening. Right. And you throwing statistics at me, like now I know how my patients feel. Cause I'm like, wait, what? I didn't hear anything you said. <laughs> like all I heard was this terrible yes. thing. Yes. Um, so it's like, you know, as a doctor, you go into these spaces and other doctors treat you like you're a part of the team and not that you're a patient or the patient's family or whatever. Right. So I know right. I stopped telling people that I'm a doctor in those spaces yeah. because I, I just want you to tell me all the things mm-hmm. and explain mm-hmm. it very slowly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you hit on the way that you, I wish that, well, <laughs> I was going to say, I wish we were recording so I could play that back. I can't Lucky wait to- thing that we are. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the podcast though, because the way you said that was so beautifully crafted because that's like so spot on, like that stoicism, it leaks over mm-hmm. into other areas of our lives. And I didn't realize that it had done that until like, not even in that moment that I realized it. it wasn't right. until I've processed it years later with therapy to see why wasn't I able to speak up? Why did why did I feel like I couldn't say something? Because mm-hmm. if some if a family member said that that happened to them, I would say, and what did you ask the doctor? Right. <laughs> and what did you right. say? They yeah. should explain this to you, you know. Um, yeah. But I didn't have that that mind uh, back then. And then even more so, what she said about the doctor to doctor relationship. You're right. Like I am not a, if I'm in the hospital with my daughter, I'm not a part of the medical team. Yeah. And you know. <laughs> It's funny you say that, that you don't tell them that you're a doctor. My husband, oh, he's going to hear this podcast, but it's the truth. He, <laughs> so I told you, he's family medicine trained. When something is happening with our daughter, which I love, when something is happening, he's going to say something. But the way that he says it, it is so obvious that he is somehow <laughs> in medicine. Yeah. Like, you know, if like, let's say it's something as simple as like, the telemetry monitor is going off, right? Like, you know, someone who's not in medicine will say, hey, the alarm is sounding. Is yeah. everything okay? He's like, I'm seeing an arrhythmia on the monitor. Yeah. It seems abnormal. <laughs> um, have you guys checked your potassium and magnesium? I'm right. alarmed by that. And I'm just like, great. Now they're going to say, oh, what is like, it that you are you? And as yeah. soon as you say, oh yeah, we're doctors. They, then, then the, the VIP quote unquote mm-hmm. treatment starts. And they're either, they're not giving you enough or what I've found is they give too, like they, like like you said, they make me a part of the team and they give me so much information to say, so what do you think? What what do you prefer? I (laughs) don't want to weigh in on your decision-making process. (laughs) There is a reason it's a conflict of interest for doctors to treat themselves and their own family. Like, do not include me on the team decision. I'm like, yeah. uh-uh, I don't want none of this. And I get, you know, I get it. Yeah. I think it's a weird place because I, anytime I've treated a physician, I'm always like, uh, like I want to show yeah. them professional respect. Exactly. And, you know, I know that they're aware of the options, especially if it's someone who's in my field. 
but then it's just it's a tricky balance so um right. so I could joke about it but it's it's funny because like, every time we go in the hospital they know that by, give it by day two they yeah. know because he's gonna say something <laughs> yeah that's me I mean I always out myself by yep. asking some question or something yep. Because, you know, they explain things and sometimes it's just like too simple and you're mm-hmm. like, no, no, I need like the detail about what this is, right. like, you know? And so yeah. when I start asking, or if they give me an acronym, but they haven't said what it is yeah, and I'm like, and I'll say out whatever it is, you and know, you'll say it. Oh, you know what it is. Like, yeah, exactly. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. But yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cause medicine is a language, right? Like exactly. they call it legalese when the, you have lawyers talking, but there is like a medicalese. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You and you and my husband are very fluent in it then. Cause I don't know how I could turn that thing off. <laughs> they try, they come in there talking about it. Simple to me. I say, oh, okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> he want to ask everything. So what did you mean? I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends, right? Like the scenario right. I can, I can fake the funk in, in some, you know, low key, no risk situations. But the right. minute you introduce something that's like peaks my concern, I'm like, Wait, 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 wait. Rewind. Okay, so let's talk about how you're monitoring the board. Right, right, right. And that's yeah. necessary. That's real. Yeah. And th- and that's what I love about him. Because if I was doing this by myself, I don't know, it would have been so much worse. Like he was so good at being able to navigate those conversations because I, I literally could not turn on the doctor part of my brain right. to process what was happening because I was so emotionally like going through the struggle of trying to figure out is she going to live? Yeah. And if she lives, what kind of life is she going to have? Yeah. Um, and like, what is this, what is this all going to look like? I was still caught in that emotional part of it that I didn't have a lot of room for the intellectual, the logical part to kind of come through. Yeah. And just so people don't have a cliffhanger, she is great and healthy yes. and beautiful. Yes. And we are not concerned about her 50% That's right. anymore. That's right. But just in case someone's listening is like, but what happened now? Oh yeah. I guess, <laughs> I guess that's true. I, that was the ultimate cliffhanger. <laughs> right. To me, like I'm just talking around about our own perspectives and, and everyone's like, but you're pregnant with this baby. Like, well, where is she? Yes. Uh, she's wonderful. She's fine and thriving. Yes. So just to let y'all, you know, not have any anxiety. I appreciate Ella's it. daughter is doing great. Okay. Thank you. Well, yeah. yeah. So you have this diagnosis, you're going through this experience, which honestly feels traumatic to me just listening to it. And how do you feel like that changed the trajectory of of your life. I mean, I'm sure it changed it tremendously, yeah. but pick one way that it changed right, right, because I'm right. like, I'm sure it did right. it in so many ways. So many ways. Um, yeah. I think you spoke it in, I think you spoke on it earlier when you said the part about like when, whenever a doctor comes in and, you know, they, they say something and then you don't get to really grasp things emotionally, you understand this must be what patients feel like mm-hmm. when we're trying to explain so much Like for a long time before this happened or before we went through this journey with our daughter, to me, being a a good doctor meant making sure I'm giving a patient all the information they need to make a good decision. And then, you know, of course, doing it in a way that's very relatable and approachable. Yeah. At the time, I consider myself pretty empathetic and being able to talk to people and connect um, and then explain things. Going through that journey, it helped me see how even if someone has the best intentions and sharing information, like there's literally a part of us that cannot hear it. Like we really can't uh, absorb that information. It's going to take multiple efforts 
to hear the same thing or to, to, to hear it in a way that's a little bit different or maybe just little bite-sized chunks um, right. because you know, health is not just the physiology of things going wrong. There's a physical part, there's a mental part, there's an emotional part. Um, and like a person, and we know this, I, I knew this logically, like this wasn't new to yeah. me after I went through what I went through with my daughter, but to actually experience it for myself, mm-hmm. to feel like, to actually see, I, I really can't talk about, you know, how this medicine works right now. I'm only looking at her to make sure her, her, she's still breathing. Like I can't yeah. talk, I can't receive what you're telling me about this is how many times I need to take the medication. I just want to make sure I can hold her, you know? And so I need you to be able to hear that and be able to take the time to wait um, or say it in a different way or say it to me 10, 15, 20 times, yeah. write it down, give me content information. Um, and so it changed, it changed the way that I saw the people that I worked for, that I worked with as patients, like to not focus so much on give information, give information, but instead asking them, like checking in and saying, how are you right now? Like, yeah. how is this feeling? And that's not a part, at least for me, that wasn't a part of, of training. It wasn't a lot of like, talk to them about their emotions. And I'll be, actually, I'll be even more honest. There was some, not a lot, but whenever we talked about it in my head, I was like, so this is an off day. You know, this is the right. day that we're going to do our, our talk on how to connect with the patient. I'm like, I'm a nice person. I know how to connect. So I'm going to just sit in the back of this lecture and, and hang out because I'm tired. Like, you know, so there's mm-hmm. this, this balance, like, cause you're a resident, you, you feel like you don't have time to learn that type the soft skills of being a, yeah. a physician. You just need to know the hard stuff to pass the boards and keep it moving. Yeah. Going through that changed me. I didn't, I was like, I, I can't go back to that. It felt like I left the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> You're like my eyes have been opened. Yes. Wide open, wide open. And I'm, I think it made me a better doctor. And, um, but the problem was, <laughs> the problem was that I was a hospital doctor and I, you know, in the hospital, you, you really don't have time to talk to a patient. Yes. If, if I have 20 patients on my list and I spend 30 minutes talking to each and every last one of them, mm-hmm. not to mention all the notes you have to write or the right. phone calls you have to make yes. or the labs and the tests you have to order, I, I would be there forever. And that's what was happening. I was there forever. And, but I didn't, I didn't want to stop because I remember what it felt like. And I, it got to a point where I said, I, I don't think I can keep doing hospital medicine. And my patients started saying, Hey, um, thank you so much for talking to me. How can we see you outside of the hospital? And finally I started thinking, you know what? Like hospital medicine was never the, I was, I had never planned on doing that, uh, as like the, the permanent thing. I had transitioned to that during my daughter's journey because it made, it gave me flexibility. I only had to work, you know, every so often I could still be in the hospital, but I didn't have my own patient, um, like a patient list. So, you know, there was less accountability for me to have to move around. Um, and so once I started getting that itch where it's like, oh, I need to, I need to see people and build that relationship and have that time. I started transitioning out of hospital medicine and started trying to figure out how can I make things that work for me? Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Is that they're trying to teach you soft skills and they're trying to say like, this is how you connect and you have to do it this way so that patients can understand and absorb the information but at the same time, they have built an entire system in which you do not actually have time to do that. Exactly. So it's like performative. Mm-hmm. Like they're teaching you this didn'tic thing, like conceptually, right. yes, this is what you're supposed to do. 
But in practicality, you neither have the time nor the reinforcements to do any of the things that they're saying. And you get that culturally. And that is literally the culture of medicine where you don't have the time to speak to anybody. And they are like, yeah, 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 speak to them, but also make sure that you have completed all of your notes and your billing and your insurance callbacks and you have faxed over your referrals and Mm -hmm. you have done your pre-authorization. Like, so you're telling me that this is not the priority and you're showing it to me every single day by attacking all the other things and not saying, hey, we noticed you didn't spend any time with your patient. No one ever says that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, so it's just mm. so funny because it's like this is completely like that's what we want right? right we want to connect and we want right. to to make an impact but that is not what's reinforced it's and that's not, not what's measured it, it it's not what's measured exactly mm-hmm. exactly oh man you should be a podcast host <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants to listen to me so like, the just, way that you, know. you take what I say and like reframe it back like I'm like man that sounds so good <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's one day we'll record real. these I don't know yeah, Throw it out into the world. Think about it. yeah I'll think about it this is such a good idea Shola thank you you're welcome <laughs> this is the least I could do right thanks, thanks girl um yeah okay so you're on this path now where you realize hospital medicine is not working for you you have this child that you love and are dedicated to and you know has some requirements that you need to be able to meet so what then becomes your next step so (laughs) there's a lot of ways I could say this essentially (laughs) what Essentially, I guess the way that I think about it is like my, my daughter changed me on so many different levels. So the mm-hmm. obvious one that it's, it's easier to see is what I just talked about with her, her health journey, but yeah. being a mom changed me as well. Like, even if, well, I can't say that, right. I can't go back in time, but the fact that taking care of this, this little being and being, and being responsible for them, me and my husband, um, but being responsible for them, it made me think about life a lot differently in terms of like the health part of things. Like it's more than just take medicine, you know, uh, uh, go to the doctor and go on from there. Like I got very intimate with how important sleep is, right. Because mm-hmm. of the lack of sleep from, ha- yeah. from having her and waking up. I mean, cause you think about it, all the stuff that she has to go through she was in the hospital for 18 days. And then when she came home, she had, you know, she had an NG tube, she had an oxygen monitor. Um, we had to weigh her ever so often. So there was a lot of stuff always happening. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like losing myself. I was losing my sleep. I was constantly stressed out. I was irritable. And it came to a point where I was like, I don't, like, I don't want to have resentment because of how much I'm pouring into her, her mm-hmm. actual, her, her physical health and not thinking about myself. And so I took a step back and the same way I would, you know, make a nice meal for her. I started making nice meals for me and my husband, yes. the same way, you know, I would calm her down by, you know, holding her. I would figure out well, what does that look like for me? Right. I, like it has to, it's different now. It's not like before where I could just go to target or, <laughs> or go to the mall. Now it's, you know, how do I decompress? Oh, Target is such a bomb. Target sessions is the, is the mental health days. Yes. But I had to make it different. Like, how do I get like physical activity, not just so I can lose weight, right? but to feel good because my body is different now mm-hmm. after a pregnancy, after a traumatic pregnancy, honestly, yeah. um, and then being in the hospital. And so what I've started, uh, as I went through my own journey of trying to figure out what wellness looks like, I was like, wait a minute, hold on. 
I'm, <laughs> I'm a doctor, right? And I don't know how to take care of myself, right. but I'm trying to take care of patients. And then I, I realized that I had learned how to manage health conditions. Yes. I didn't learn how to help people be healthy. Mm-hmm. And what made me sad and feel very burnt out in the hospital was that I didn't want to keep managing the conditions. I wanted to help people, not what they, not treat their condition, but help people with their health. And so as I started learning things for myself, I started saying, why can't I apply this to my patients? And so fast forward, you know, several months and years, I um, ended up getting uh, certified um, in obesity medicine, board certified in obesity medicine. Mm-hmm. And from there, I just kept digging in. I was like, you know, I love, I started developing a love for cooking um, and like finding different ways to use food in a way where it tastes really good. Um, you know, p- picking good ingredients that are good for us, but that it tastes good, where it's not just eat a kale salad, no. you know, and good luck. It's like, oh, how can I enjoy this? Yeah. And the greatest taste tester is a kid because they're not going to play. Like if it's nasty, yep. they're spitting that thing right out. Yep. <laughs> and she was eating everything I was making. That's and people were like, how are you getting her to eat vegetables? I was like, well, if you roast it and I'd share recipes. And so I think, well, I could, hmm, like I could combine this medicine part mm-hmm. of with food and, and I'm passionate about it. And then started digging into like food insecurity because it's not as simple as saying eat healthy. Yeah. Some people don't have those options. Right. And as I dug and dug, I came up with this idea of starting my own you know, practice where I am talking about food and I am talking about stress and I am talking about sleep and I am talking about those positive connections on top of the health condition part, right? If people do have diabetes or high blood pressure, we could talk about that. Um, and we could treat that with medicines, but getting to the deeper part as well of like, how do, how is the way that we live our lives affecting our health? Um, and it's funny cause I pitched, I, I wasn't even trying to pitch it. I was talking to a friend um, a really close friend that I met at Morehouse and I was sharing it with her. I was like, Hey, I just want to practice this. Can I tell you this? And I was talking to her and I get off and I'm, my heart's beating fast because I'm so nervous. And I finished talking and she goes, that was really good. Can I, can I, I want to be a part of that. And I was floored. Yes. Floored because I almost didn't even want to say it to her. Mm. And she's the type of person where I can be very, you know, I get excited very easily. She is not that. She's someone she can look at a situation, assess it, like truly give an assessment that is not emotional. And the fact that she was looking at this and going, this is a good idea. I want to be a part of it. It was exciting, but it also was scary because I was like, oh, now it's not just in my head. It's real. <laughs> it's real. It's real. Yeah. Somebody else is counting on me. <laughs> yes. No, that's good. I mean, a lot of us have all kinds of interventions in our head, right? All these, I like how many ideas do you come up with? Like even on a weekly basis, right? So many ideas, like there's so many ways that you can make improvements in the world and help people. And so I love that you actually reached out to someone, formulated it and pitched, well, didn't officially pitch, but accidentally pitched her, which (laughs) kudos to you for being a saleswoman and no one really formally taught you that skill maybe I don't Listen. know but you got it girl <laughs> that I'll crazy. receive that right like okay come through with the unofficial pitch that Listen, yes I like how you said it the accidental pitch yes <laughs> definitely so <laughs> reaching out to people and sharing your ideas and collaborating right. is one of the best ways I think that we can work as black doctors to give back right. to our communities and right. and figuring out what those programs are so yes we're going to keep talking offline. Sorry, y'all. I'm not going to be privy to that conversation. 
we don't talk about, you know, funding those kinds of practices like that, but yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So now you've pitched her this idea. What, tell us the idea. What are you guys doing? I love to do that. So cooking on purpose health is the name of the idea. And like you mentioned before, it's a virtual practice that's focused on obesity and preventive health. And so the, the main reason we do it is that we know from medical side that obesity has so many connections with so many health conditions. But the part that I feel that is missing whenever we talk about health is what about the stuff before the medicines? What about the stuff in a person's life? What about how a person actually feels? Like what's going on in their home? What's going on in their community? Like is someone talking to them about that? Now, you know, I know I'm a doctor and I can't, I can't be everything to everyone. Like I can't be the social worker and the case manager and the therapist and the physical therapist and the trainer. But that doesn't mean I can't start those conversations to, to figure out what are the resources that we can point you towards um, and how to work with you on that. And so for us, what we're trying to do is we're really trying to change generational health legacies, Ooh. right? So if you... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wait, hold on. Are y'all listening? We're not just talking about generational wealth. We are talking exactly. about generational health. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And that's big. You can't get the wealth without the health. You- I'm going to need you to trademark that ASAP. In fact, before this episode comes out, don't try to see it, y'all. It was our, the trademark is in process. Okay. It's pending. It's pending. Pending. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's real because like, I think about my family and think about my friends and their families. Like when we think about health and you think about your grandmother and your grandparents and the medicines that they're on and the, the same thing that they're always telling me is how they feel. They don't feel good and they want to feel better. And they're, they, they thought the medicine was going to help them feel better, but the medicine is just treating the symptom, is treating um, the result of the condition. But what about before that? And if you try to do that in the regular medical system, there's no time. There's no time to talk to a patient about this. No. So my mind is like, I can't change the system yet, right? right. I'm, I'm one doctor. So instead of staying in the system and saying, oh, well, you know, I wish I could talk to you more, I'm coming out of the system and saying, I'm going to come directly to you. We can work one-on-one where we're having those conversations. You have a doctor who's helping you be accountable, who's helping figure out what is the reason why you want to get better and how can we make that work? Oh, that is so good. Yeah. So we, food, food's a big part of it, but there's so many other parts, stress, sleep, um, positive connections, nutrition, physical activity. Um, and then of course, looking at your medical conditions, we do all of that. And it's all virtual right now. It's in Georgia North and North Carolina. Um, and then we do cook and learn sessions where we'll do a recipe together and we'll use ingredients. We'll talk about the benefits and we'll do substitutions because some people are vegan, some people are vegetarian, some people are, they like to eat meat and they, they struggle with, with vegetables. So if there's no one size fits all. It's about how do we make this work for you? And the only way that can happen is if I actually talk to you <laughs> and go from there. Oh, this is so good. The reason this is so good is because we have finally, I feel like a lot of Black doctors are finally hitting a stride where we see that there's alternatives to the system. Like, you know, I think it's, oh, I don't want to misquote. I'm pretty sure it's Toni Morrison, but who talks about racism as a distractor and says that, you know, we spend a lot of time proving that we're supposed to be in a space and proving our humanity and and all of our time, basically, like to really paraphrase, because this is not how the quote goes, but she really talks about the fact that we are just constantly distracted by 
proving our our worthiness Mm -hmm. that we don't actually get to address anything and so Mm -hmm. I think that we're finally at a point where we're not proving ourselves constantly in medicine or we don't we no longer connect or like subscribe to that method of survival where we just keep our head down and we just feel like okay at least we're in here we're now like let's take a step back and figure out like this is not a good way to practice this is not how we want to show up in our practice and out of that the ingenuity that is coming out of these things like cooking with your doctor that is so dope like yeah I mean that's super cool so and I know so many people that would benefit from a program like that that would love to just be in a program like that and then you as a physician I know physicians that would love to work at something like that right you guys are modeling the possibility and I'm so glad that you're here sharing that on the podcast because so many people are looking for alternatives they just do not see themselves in the traditional model of hospital and clinical medicine. Yep. And that is the only thing that we are presented with, but that is not our only option. That's right. So exciting. <laughs> yeah. So exciting. <laughs> so exciting. Just hands. Just hands. Um, I'm really, really, yeah. Like that makes me thrilled. Like the reason why I do this podcast is because people like you have such great stories and are doing oh, such amazing things and everybody you. needs to hear it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Like, don't, you don't have to quit. If you want to quit, cool. Like I have another doctor on here who talks about how to quit all the things that are not working for you. And sometimes that includes your job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fair. Yep. But if you really feel like this is something and it's like you want to do and you want to continue and you want to have a long career in it, but it's not shaping up the way you think, like then we have doctors like Dr. Shayla and who are completely outlining a new way to show up. So Yes to all that. Yes. Ugh. Okay. Anything else before we sign off that you want to share? Um, I think just ways for people to to learn more about us would be the only thing sure. if I could share okay. that. Um, we have a website, cookingonpurposehealth.com. Um, and we're super active in the social media streets. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely on Instagram and TikTok, same thing, cooking on purpose health. And um, if you go to our website, we have a little form for a newsletter that's free for health tips, recipes, education. Right. If you sign up, you get 10, um, as soon as you sign up, you get 10 meals for free, like 10 meal ideas that you can mm-hmm. do in less than 30 minutes. So sign up, we're waiting. Um, even if you don't want to be a patient, you can have that resource. Let me go ahead and sign up on this website because I need these ideas. <laughs> Okay, so as usual, we will have all of that detail down in the show notes, the website, Instagram. So y'all just go ahead and use this good old Beyonce's internet and get out here and and find this program because I love this. I have so many things like ruminating in my head. So we're going to talk. Yes, we got to talk. And before we get off, I have to say this. Thank you so much for letting me be on your podcast. I so appreciate it. I'm super grateful. It's an honor. And I can't wait to listen to us talk. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It is a total honor to showcase work like yours, like just shaping the possibilities. People are going to relate to this. People are going to get ideas from this. And in the end, like we will do better as a Black doctor community and our patients will do better because we're out here reinventing the wheel like we always do. You just are creating. Blazing a trail. That's right. (laughs) So thank you, Dr. Shayla. I'm so honored to have you here. And I'm so glad that you took the time to share all of this with us. Cooking on Purpose Health, y'all. Yes. All right. Until next week. 
Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And what I want you to do next is write a review. I'm going to make this so easy for you. Just go ahead and give me five stars, but also leave a comment that tells me how we can be off the charts. I want you to link us everywhere you can. Instagram at The Black Doctor, The Black Doctor website to join our newsletter. Just become part of our collective. I want you here. Thanks. Until next time. Bye. Thank you.